Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. God's blessings are like a river. They fill the city of God with joy. That city is the holy place where the Most High God lives. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now at an off-site campus or at one of the venues here, Chapel Warehouse maybe in the foyer, wherever you happen to be. And those of you online, we're glad that you're along with us too. Uh, what a great week, wow. Did you have a good week, everybody? Okay. Did you have a lousy week? Anybody have a lousy week? Okay. There are probably a few of us that did. Yeah, there's somebody right there. Um, man, I had a great week. I'm exhausted, I'm gonna be honest with you. Can I be honest? Or I'll just lie, you know, whatever. But no, great week, great week. Um, this was our annual conference for our church planting organization, The Ark. Guys, if you've been coming very long, you know we plant churches. Uh, about 16 years ago, we had a dream vision. Let's plant 2,000 churches. Why 2,000? I don't know. It just, that just seemed to be the number that came. And, and so, and so uh, uh, because we believe that the church is the hope of the world, local church, we also believe that every community needs life-giving churches, multiple life-giving churches, because they're all kind of different people. How do you know that? And uh, so, so we started 16 years ago, and to date we have planted uh, 672 churches, which is pretty incredible. And uh, over a half million people attend those churches. Every week I challenged our, our group. Uh, it, we had our conference this week, over 4, 000, around 4,000 leaders were there, and it was just like, for me, it was exhausting, because I'm the president of the organization, and everybody wants to talk to the president, and uh, have you know you have a certain amount of words? You, you, just, you just have a few words. I told my wife at the end of the conference on Wednesday night, I said, I don't have any more words. I'm done. I know you need to talk to somebody. Call somebody, you know, because I... <laughs> I just don't have any left. I won't have any for a couple, three weeks. And I've about lost my voice and on and on and on. But I challenged the leaders there. I said, you know, uh, if, if every church just grew by 5% over the next year, and that's just a small growth, there'd be 50,000 new people uh, in the next year. Some people call that revival. I mean, it's incredible uh, what is going on. And uh, in the first four months of this year, uh, we have planted 72 brand new churches, uh, including 13 in China that are significant churches, not just house churches, but significant churches. And um, there's nothing wrong with house churches, but our model is to launch large, just kind of, kind of what we do. And then, listen to this, uh, at the, uh, uh, in, in our next season in the fall, we have 94 churches on the books. We've never planted more than 88 in any one year. We're gonna plant north of 150. They all won't happen in the fall, but we'll plant between 150 and 160 churches. A Little bit of every dime that you give here goes toward that, uh, 2% goes 
goes toward that. And th this is what is kind of exciting too, um, is those churches that we've planted uh, have given last year, just last year, this is every year, last year it, it gave eight, $18 million to do good things around the world, world missions, 18 million every year. And, and it, we're growing at such a rate that we double every four to five years. That'll be $36 million every year. Now, there are two ways that you can give to needs. You can give directly to the need, which is good. We ought to do that. Or you can give to what generates more and more to meet needs, which is even better. That's called leveraging the gifts. So the best, I mean, we give 2% of our resources. You guys don't even know that. We just write a check. 2% of our resources to plant new churches that help people all around the world and are reproducing. And it's just absolutely incredible. And I just want to give you a report of what's, what's going on. Uh, so anyway, so I'm going to preach today. And uh, I thought I had a message, and I preached it last night, and I went home, and it was like, the Lord showed me, that's not the message for this weekend. You just warmed up something from a few years ago. I got something fresh. Thought, I'm tired. <laughs> and so at 11.30 last night, I had a new message. And what's cool is I, I texted our tech team, because it takes a bit to make this happen at 13 campuses, make it all on the screens and all that kind of stuff. And at 12.30, they texted me and said, all done, sir. We're ready to go. Let's do it with a great attitude. And so, and so take your note sheet out of your bulletin. And you can water it up, throw it away if you want to. Or you can write on it. it you'll write along the edges, but that's not the sermon we're going to do. That's a warm-up from about three years ago. It's what that is, all right? I'm excited about what I want to share with you. So, so uh, let, me, let me ask you this. H have you ever been really, really, really excited about the idea of something new, but after you got started, you realized that you were excited about the idea, and the idea was more exciting than the actual, and it started to feel a lot like work? Anybody ever been there? It could have been a project, an adventure, a job, a marriage, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> okay? The idea is more exciting than the actual. That's not a marriage. Well, it can be at times. Uh, let's move on from that thought to this one. How's this? How's this? So one of my favorite places on the planet is Rocky Mountain National Park. Anybody ever been there in Colorado, Rocky Mountain National Park? If I go to Colorado, which I do a couple times a year uh, for speak at various things, I will always put one extra day in so that I can go, even if I have to go by myself, to Rocky Mountain National Park. And I spend time there. I love it. I've got some pictures that I've taken over the years there. I caught this guy. I was chasing these guys. And here's all of his buddies. And I'm laying down on the ground getting a picture of them. That's way up above uh, tree level. Uh, there are all kind of animals in Rocky Mountain National Park. If you go at the right time of day, You'll see deer, elk, you'll see moose. Like this time, uh, I told Debbie, why don't you run down between me and the moose and I'll take a picture. And the park ranger caught us doing this and said, you are a bad man. He said, these are not nice animals. Never put your wife in harm's way like that. But it made a great picture. And, uh, but anyway, so I was there a couple, three years ago and I was in just this same spot. This is a beautiful meadow. 
and it's, it's down toward, uh, anyway, you wouldn't know it, but it's, it's a beautiful meadow. And the meadow's maybe, I don't know, three quarters of a mile wide, maybe a mile wide. Uh, and then there's always animals in there. And then there's the mountain, and it's just lush green. And then you can see up above the mountain, above the tree level, like, like that one up there where there's no trees. You can see up there, and there's a trail that you can hike if you want to, to go from the meadow up to there. And I thought, what a great idea. I'm by myself. I thought, I'm gonna do this. And it was awesome. It was great. Now let me tell you a couple of principles that I learned about mountain climbing. There are some problems. And uh, here's one. Mountain climbing is uphill. How many of you knew that? It's uphill. <laughs> if it was downhill, it'd be awesome. You could do it with a skateboard, you know, all this kind of stuff. But if you're gonna climb a mountain, if you're gonna take ground, you gotta go uphill. And man, I went uphill and uphill and uphill and uphill, and I couldn't see the summit. And all I could see was the trees around me, and pretty soon I got really, really, really tired. But I pressed on because I'm like that, you know? And, and so then there's another problem with mountains, and that's this, is that mountains have other inhabitants in them. And um, you know, they're deer, they run away from you. There are mountain lions, they stalk you. And so I was walking, and I'm about three miles into it, and all of a sudden, I see a mountain lion. Not really saw one, but I saw one in my mind. <laughs> and then I saw them everywhere. And mountain lions are stealth guys. They'll, and I actually put my keys between my fingers, thinking if one jumps on me, I'll poke his eyes out, you know, and that type thing. And then I thought, I will never see them jump me. I will never know it until after I've been devoured and I've read all kinds of stories about that. And, uh, and then I turned around and came back down uh, the mountain. <laughs> Never got to the summit. Well, what's that all about? Well, there's a story in Joshua chapter 14. If you're reading through the Bible, like we, most of us are right now, we're going through the Bible. And uh, there's a story in Joshua 14 that you read this week about a mountain climber who's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, whose name is Caleb. And uh, in, in Joshua 14, uh, it begins with a retelling of an event that actually took place 45 years earlier. Because God had some ground for his people that he wanted them to take. Uh, the children of Israel had been delivered from Egypt and they've come across the desert. They're right at the edge of what it was called the promised land. This was land that God wanted them to take. It was a promised land, but they had to take it. And so um, the idea of taking new ground sounded exciting to everybody. Hey, we're tired of desert, we're tired of manna. You know, we have manna in the morning, manna sandwiches at night, manna shevets to drink. You know, it's just like, <laughs> we're tired of manna and they're ready for a new, <laughs> that's pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> and uh, even, uh, yeah, okay, and so, and so the idea of the promised land was exciting until they realized that it was hard. And so what they did is they sent 12 spies into the land to check it out, and two of them were very excited about the prospects. They said, you know, this land is like a place of milk and honey. There's grapes this big. It's fertile. It's unreal. We need to go there. And... Uh, uh, the other 10 spies said, you know, they're right, it is an incredible place, but there are inhabitants 
in the land. They're mountains. Mountains are hard anyway, but they're inhabitants in the land, and these inhabitants are giants, and there is absolutely no way that we could, we could beat them and stand up to them, and so we shouldn't go. When you've read the whole deal, or if you know anything about Israel, um, they discouraged the whole crowd, made God mad. God determined that none of them would ever get into the promised land, and the only two people that ever made it to the promised land and are still alive in Joshua 14 for the story that we're reading today are those two spies that brought a good report. One of them's name was Joshua, and he now, at the point that we're reading, is the leader of the, of the entire country, and Caleb, who is having this conversation uh, with Joshua and reminding him of what their previous leader, Moses, had promised him 45 years ago. And I wanna learn some things from that, but before I do, I wanna talk about just a couple of foundational truths so that it'll mean something to you. And here's the first one. God has mountains he wants you to take. Everybody in here, everybody at a campus, everybody's listening to me right now, God has mountains, he has ground that he wants you to take. Um, it may be ground in your marriage, okay? He's got a promised land. Where you are is not where he wants you to be. He's got better for you in your marriage, in your relationships, in your business, in your ministry. God has ground in your calling. He's got ground for you, a better place, a next that he wants you to take. All right, that's the first foundational truth. Here's the second one, is this, is that there are giants between you and the summit. There are giants in your promised land between you and the summit. There are relational giants. You may be experiencing one right now. We're not on the same page. It's a giant. You know, um, there, there's, it seems like we take you know, two steps forward and one step backwards because you're, there's a giant in your relational land that you're trying to take. Um, you know, there's somebody at work that seems to stand in the way, hard to get along with and stands in the way of the progress of the whole team. It's a giant. There's a giant. We can ignore it or we can define it, talk about it. Gotta take it. Gotta take the giant. That it might be financial giants. Have any of you ever run into a financial giant along the way? Anybody here at all, a resource giant? You know, we don't have enough money to take this ground, you know, or, or maybe you've got too much month at the end of the paycheck, you know, and you, you've got ideas and vision and just not enough resources. Could be a self-doubt giant. I don't know if anybody else has ever had this, but you, you feel like, you know, I'm not qualified to take this mountain. If people knew, really knew, and find out how little I really know, that'll be the end of this adventure. You ever felt like that? I felt like that for the first 20 years of pastoring this church. If they ever knew that I really don't have a clue. You know, I mean, this is gonna be, this is not gonna be pretty, okay? And then 10 years ago, I figured it out, and everything's okay. But uh, maybe you feel the same way, all right? Or it could be, you know, yeah, all kind of giants. There, there are tons of giants. Uh, how did Caleb do it? How did he take new ground? How did he climb a mountain? And so four principles on mountain climbing from Caleb. Here's the first one. Make sure you choose the right mountain. Make sure you choose the right mountain. How do you know it's possible to choose the wrong mountain? You may have chosen a mountain that God didn't have for you. 
Uh, if you're a parent, you know this. Uh, you, when you're disciplining kids, you gotta choose what mountain you're gonna shed blood on. If you, if you, if you make a stand on every mountain, somebody's gonna die and it's probably you, okay? And, and so that there, are, there are some mountains that, that, you need to, that you need to go for and others that you shouldn't because God didn't give you the mountain. And if God didn't give you the mountain, and that's not a mountain for you to, to, to climb on, it's gonna be hard for a really, 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 really long time. And at some time you may wake up and say, boy, I invested a lot of time, energy, and effort, but this probably never was a mountain that I was supposed to climb. You've gotta be sure that you choose the right mountain. Is this a mountain that God's giving us? Caleb is absolutely sure. Take a look at Joshua 14 and verse six. He says this. He says, now the pe people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, say that real quickly, said to him, said to who? Said to Joshua. He's got a meeting with Joshua. And he says, you know what the Lord said to Moses? the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. You remember? He says, remember that 45 years ago? Remember what God said to us? I want, I want to remind you of this. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. That's gonna come back in this story several times. I followed God wholeheartedly. Then he said, so on that day, Moses swore to me, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. He says, he says, remember that? Remember going up those mountains, seeing all that stuff? Came back, I gave a report, and Moses said, that's gonna be your mountain. And I believe God was telling me that. And let, let, me, let me show you this next verse. Verse 12, it says, now give me this mountain, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. He said, when Moses spoke to me, I took it as God, and God said, that's your mountain, Caleb. 45 years ago, he told me, that's your mountain, and I've come today to claim my mountain. He was sure. It is it's important that you are sure, you are sure that the mountain that you're claiming is a mountain of God. Because God doesn't promise us all the same mountain. You know, that, that, that's where we get in trouble. We look around at somebody else's mountain. We look around at somebody else's, the ground that they're taking, and we're jealous of their ground, or we would like to have their ground, or why can't we have that assignment? And here's what you don't know. You don't know what they paid for that mountain. You don't know what giants were on that mountain. You don't know what giants are still there. Maybe it's giants that, that it's just not your giants, not what you should be involved in. That's why keep the blinders on, run your race. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. But figure out, God, what's my mountain? God doesn't give you every mountain. Make sure that the mountain you're attempting to take was given to you by God. Why? Because their mountains are hard. Did I mention that? And when it gets really, 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 really hard, you're gonna need to know that this was a, not just a good idea, it was a God idea. That we are here and we are on this mountain and that God gave us this mountain. Now how do you know that? I mean, that's a whole nother message. Let me give it to you in a, in a, short, in a, in a short deal. How do you know that, you, that you're hearing God? Uh, number one, the, 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 the idea, the desire doesn't go away. 
I mean, I, not everybody's like me, but I have a new idea every day. I'll tell Debbie about a new idea I've got every day, and she just kind of goes, that's awesome. Let's see if he has the same idea tomorrow and next week, because a God idea won't go away. It's there, don't rush it, because it's, it's there. Uh, other ideas, they, they come and uh, uh, go. Uh, you also need to know if the desire, if the idea passes the Bible test. I've had people tell me about ground they're going to take, relationally especially, and I'll go, really? God's calling you to do that? That violates every principle relationally in the Word of God. I've fallen in love with somebody new. They're not my husband. My husband is this, but this is my soulmate. Oh, wonderful. What chapter is that in? Okay? Because that violates every principle in here. You can do it if you want to, but you're going to have hell to pay at some point along the way. Okay? God can rectify all of that, but that's a price that's way too high for what you want to pay. So make sure that it, it passes the Bible test. And then the third thing and it, it is this, is, is the desire needs to sound about right to wise people who love you. Get some counselors ready. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You want that. If you're hiding the next season of your life, the next mountain or whatever it is that you're, you're doing from other people, uh, it's because you're not sure that it really is right, it really is God, or you feel like that, it, that um, if you really follow God wholeheartedly, that he'll give you a stone instead of bread. He'll, he'll give you bad things instead of good things. You don't know God. Okay? And so if you trust God and you say, God, I want your best for me, then you get wise people around you that go, you know what, this sounds about right. This, this looks like it, it passes the sniff test of whether it fits you and whether it's the Bible and you're not violating a principle of God's word. And, uh, and, and, so, and so when it starts to get hard, you'll need to know that this was not just a good idea, but it was a God idea. So make sure it's the right mountain. The second thing we learned from Caleb is make sure you have the right attitude. Make sure that you have the right attitude. Caleb had the perfect attitude for taking new ground. He was wholehearted in his commitment to God. He was wholehearted. In fact, he could say, he said to his best friend, Joshua, he was, a, he was the only guy that was still alive from way back then. And, he, and Joshua has a, it's got a BS meter. I don't know any other way to say that uh, as it relates to Caleb, his best friend. So he knows when he's shining him on and when he's telling the truth. And he says to Joshua, he says, Joshua, I followed God with a whole heart. You know that. Wasn't perfect, didn't make every decision right, but my heart is wholehearted in him. Can I ask you, is yours there? Because that's the beginning point of the attitude that you need to have to take, take a mountain because mountains are hard. You need to make sure that you're following. Could you stand up to your closest friends and say, you know what, as God is my witness, I am following him wholeheartedly right now. Can you? I want you to think about that. Because wherever you are on kind of that scale, what are you gonna do about that? And maybe toward the end of this message, you can you know, make peace with God in that area and say, God, I re-up to be wholehearted uh, with, with you. He's got a great attitude. And his focus wasn't on the size of the giants, but it was on the size of his God. Look at this. He says, you yourself heard then that the Anakites, those are giants, were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but, but, 
the Lord helping me, I'm going to drive them out. Just like he said. His focus wasn't on the size of the giants. It was on the size of his God. His focus wasn't on the difficulty of the task. It was on the ability that God had inside of him. See, how's your focus? How can you tell? You can tell a lot about somebody's focus by listening to what they talk about. I know with church planners, oh my goodness, uh, they, that, that's a tough road. That is a tough, tough road. And, um, and, and man, they all start excited, which is great. But after a while, after they get into some hard things, mountains uphill, and there are giants and all this kind of stuff, the ones that make it, you can tell by their conversation. Hey, it's tough, but God is able. The ones that don't make it, they start talking about the giants. Man, this is rough ground. This is hard ground. Everybody has the hardest ground around. Man, this city, it's too old, it's too young, it's too small, it's too big, it's too whatever. Everybody's got tough ground. And when you start talking about the ground rather than the God, that's when you know that you're going to have a problem with the giants, okay? And so, and so he had a great attitude. He, he's talking about how big his God is. Also, Caleb doesn't see age as an issue. Look at this. He says, so here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day when Moses sent me out. How old was he the day that Moses sent him out? And he says, I'm still as strong today. He's delusional. <laughs> I'm not as strong today as when I started this church. I am not. But you know what? It's great to be delusional because, because if he believes it, who cares what anybody else believes? It's going to give him. And I believe that God has a great future for this church 29 years in. I believe that. Now, he was smarter. Back when he was 40, he would have gone into the mountains and whipped the giant by himself. Now that he's 85, here was his plan if you read a little bit later. Uh, he said, hey, I got a good-looking daughter. If there's any guy that can go up and whip the giant, she's yours. Awesome! That's brilliant. That is brilliant, okay? So he just works smarter. And, uh, and may, maybe he is as vigorous as he was then. But anyway, so if you're gonna take ground, make sure you choose the right mountain. Make sure you have the right attitude. And then uh, here's, here's another one that he teaches us. Make sure you factor in a few detours. You factor in a few detours. Most of us, when we're gonna take new ground, we're gonna take a new mountain, we see it almost like a reverse zip line. Have you seen a zip line? Zip line, you get at the highest point, and it's straight down, and you, no trees in the way, and you just zip down. That, those are a blast. Well, we think that the path is like a reverse zip line with an engine where you get on it at the bottom, it goes straight to the top of the hill. It's kind of like a ski lift, straight to the top of the hill. I don't know if that's your experience. That's never been mine. When I'm taking new ground, it goes back and forth, and back and forth, and sometimes it goes forward for a little while, and then it goes back. Just that's the story of Seacoast. That's the story of anything I've been involved in. And, and then sometimes you feel like you're walking around and around. Some of you are there right now. You're there right now. You signed on for a new mountain, and you feel like you're just walking around in the desert, going round and round and round. Let's look at Caleb. Look what he says. Caleb says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved around in the wilderness. 
Israel moved around in the wilderness. How are you with delays? How are you with delays? Detours. I don't know if I can wait any longer. How long have you been waiting? Well, six months. Really, could you wait 45 years? Caleb did. And you know what? He didn't get discouraged. Say, boy, that would discourage me. No, discouraged people are the ones that are looking back. Caleb's looking ahead. He's looking ahead. And maybe he realizes that in the desert, that's part of the process. If you're gonna take ground, you'll probably detour through a desert or two. Why is that? Wilderness, why is that? Mm, a lot of reasons. Let me give you two. Preparation, you're not ready. Preparation, we think we're ready. How, how, many, of you, how, how many of you know somebody that, or how many of this has been you that when you're ready to take a new work-wise, you, you, you don't know what you don't know? You think you're a whole lot more ready than what you are? Okay, we're all ready. I'm ready, I can do it, I can do it, I'll volunteer. I can do it, well, you don't know what it takes. In fact, a little bit later, as we, as we read, I think, this week in taking the promised land, um, God said to Joshua, he said, there are inhabitants in the land. I'm not gonna drive them all out right away because you're not ready for them. You're, you're not ready. It's gonna be a little bit at a time, then you'll get ready. That's what wildernesses are for, is preparation. They're also for pruning, pruning. You know, the 45 years. 40 appears a lot of times in the Bible. You've got, what, Jesus, 40-day fast. You've got... Moses, a couple of times he went to the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. You got 40 years of the children of Israel walking around. What's that about? What's that about? A lot of times it's about pruning, dealing with things that can't go with you where you're going. There's stuff, do you know that there's stuff internally inside of you that can't go with you where God has a place for you? And so will you give up or keep putting one foot in front of the the other, in the wilderness, you gotta learn to walk in the dark. You take smaller steps, and you just put one foot in front of the other. So, what do you do when you're in the middle of an unplanned detour? Well, look at this next verse. Um, whoops, I guess that was the verse I wanted you to look at. Let's see what we can find there. Oh, here it is, look at this. Now then, just as the Lord, I did this at midnight, you guys, come on. <laughs> Just as the Lord promised. What kept him alive for 45 years? God's promise. God's promise. What can keep you alive in a wilderness is God's promise. You may be in a family wilderness right now, okay? And maybe God has promised you that a wayward child will return. You need to hang on to God's promise. You need to hang on to God's promise. Maybe God's promised you that he'll meet a financial need and you're in a you're in a financial wilderness. There are giants all around. You need to hang on to God's promise. God's promise. Maybe God has promised you that he'll break a stronghold in your life and it feels like there are giants everywhere. You need to hang on to God's promise because it may not happen on your timetable, but when it comes, it will be infinitely more than you can ask or imagine. We read that verse every week at our church. We believe it, okay? So, um, Make sure that you choose the right mountain. Make sure that you have the right attitude. Make sure that you anticipate a few detours and delays. That's part of the problem when you take new ground. And make sure you keep your eye on the why. You thought I was gonna say prize. But it's why. The why is more important than the how or even the what. The why. See, when, 
when you have a purpose and when you know what your purpose is, it makes you purposeful with every move you make. When you know why, why am I taking this mountain? Why am I taking this hill? See, when you understand what's on the line, it drives you to care about the end result more than the steps that it took you to get there. It may take a whole lot more steps than you thought it would, but you'll take those steps because you understand the why. You understand what's on the line. You understand what the end result is. You know what the why is. So what is the why for Caleb? We've already alluded to it once, and let me give you another clue to it right here. So Joshua, this is the end of that uh, section. Blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of the land. Hebron still belongs to who? To the descendants. To the descendants. You remember earlier Caleb said that Moses said to him, I've got a land for you and your children. Caleb's not gonna be in this land very long. He's 85, he thinks he's strong. He ain't got much time left, okay? But his kids are gonna be there and his grandkids and their kids after them. It's gonna be their inheritance. Caleb is all about legacy right now. All about legacy. That's what it's about for him. He says, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. I'm gonna take this ground so that my kids will have a place. I'm gonna take this ground so that my kids won't have to. With just a couple of minutes I've got left, I wanna talk to those of you who are a part of this church. There, there are many who are visiting today. We are glad you're here. You're one of the reasons that we do what we do. And, but this next part doesn't apply to you. And so just kind of mark on your thing or do whatever you want to do. And I, I want to talk to the church for just a minute. Um, I get the opportunity these days to travel more than I want to. I don't even like traveling. I really don't. You may not believe that. I don't. You can ask my wife. I, I'm a homebody. The, the other day, I, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I was in London and I uh, was speaking to a bunch of leaders there and, and I, I came home and one of my friends here in the church saw me at Lowe's. We were in the same row. He said, we shouldn't be in the same row at Lowe's. That's dangerous. And he said, how was London? I said, it was great. I said, have you been there? And he's a successful business guy. And he said, no, I've never been to London. I said, just automatically, I said, you've got to go. And then I thought, no, he lives on the Wando River. He doesn't have to go anywhere. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I told him that, you know. I don't live on the Wando River, but I live in South Carolina and I like it here and there's good fishing and great people and I don't have to go anywhere. But for whatever reason at this season of my life, I, I travel a good bit, help church planners and church leaders. And when I travel, and you've seen these too, you can go through a town either here or in Europe, and you can see these once vibrant cathedrals, churches, buildings that once they were the life of the community, once they were a life-giving source, that community, and now they're museums. Breaks my heart when I see one that's a store, or maybe it's somebody's house. It's not because they moved out into something bigger, it's because they ceased to exist. And uh, 
And I've thought about why, why? There are a lot of reasons. I mean, sometimes it has to do with population changes and all of that. But most often it's because at some point the leaders and the people in the church decided they were gonna quit taking mountains. That they'd accomplished enough that they were too old. They were gonna quit taking mountains. When you quit taking mountains, you can just mark it on your calendar. The end's gonna be pretty soon. Mountains are hard. There are giants in the mountains. But you can't quit taking mountains. We don't hear about other people. We don't hear about the spies that said it's too hard for us. We're not gonna do it. We hear about Caleb, his generation. We're at a place in our church where we gotta take some new mountains. We can't stop. We can't stop. We could stop right now and we've had a pretty good run. Would you agree with that? I mean, 29 years and some awesome things have happened. We're planting churches all over the world. We could stop right now. So, well, that was a great run. You know when the time to look at the run is? It's when you look at it with Jesus. <laughs> when you sit down in eternity and go, let's just take a look. Somebody asked me the other day, it's at the art conference, they said, do you ever think about, I said, no, I don't. Honestly, I don't. There'll be time for that later. I'm thinking about taking new mountains. We gotta take new mountains. We've got, a, we've got a mountain that we're taking right now and, and uh, you know about it. It's, we told you, if we try to communicate as much as we can over the last few months and years. And there's a picture in your bulletin of what, what part of the new mountain will look like. It's a new worship facility. It's twice the size of this. And, uh, and then this will become a student building that's just busting with growth right now, our student ministry. And uh, we've come so far. Uh, we've, we've been at it for about two years. Land work is done. Parking lots are pretty well completed just before Easter. And you guys have given so much. We had an $8 million goal. And you guys have given $7.3 million. We're $700,000 away. We need this weekend. In order to keep moving, we're not gonna move a shovel, we're not gonna do anything else. We made a commitment, $8 million up front before we do anything. And, uh, and, and we're ready to go, uh, but we, we've got a financial giant in front of us. And uh, you guys have been so, so faithful, so generous. You really have, I don't just say that. You know, maybe you might say, well, $8 million, I mean, that's a lot of money. Why, why don't we just take $8 million and do $8 million worth of good around the world. I bet we could do that. I, I would agree with you. I bet we could do that too. In fact, we do that all the time. Right now, there are tens of thousands of people all over the world that have clean water, that have education, that have health care, and have churches because of you guys' generosity. We give away millions every year. And we could give $8 million right now and just and do that. But you know what? If we meet, if we take $8 million and one time just meet $8 million worth of need. There'll be new needs tomorrow. Would you agree with that? But if we take $8 million and we invest it one time, one time, I'm not talking about all the time, one time in this new project, here's what it will do. It will double our capacity to help people find God. I hate it here when on special days or even days like today, I, last week I was here at the service after this one. And uh, 
And a, and a new family came in about, I don't know, 20 minutes into the service. And they said, uh, can we find a seat? There were four of them. And I was the usher at the moment. I just happened to be there. I thought, well, I'll just be the usher. I can do that. And I came in here and I went, oh my goodness, how do we get four seats together? You know what I did? <laughs> I asked one of you that been here for a long time, there are three seats next to you. I said, I need your seat. These people need to come in here. You go stand on the wall. And he did, stood right back there. He wasn't even on the prayer team, just stood right back there on the wall because we needed, we needed his seat. And uh, we're, we're, we're gonna double our capacity to help people find God. And we're also gonna double our capacity to do good in the world. Resources, money. Not just one time, but we're gonna double our capacity every week until Jesus comes. That's why it's a good investment. And we're investing in our kids. We're investing in their future. And so I'm asking you today to help us with this. To ask God if this is a giant that you're supposed to help us slay. That's important to know. Let me tell you what we don't do here. Fundraisers ask me to do this and I refuse to do it. I'm the worst at this in the world. I believe in the cause. I don't have a problem asking you guys to be a part of the cause. No problem with that. But what I won't do is typical fundraising things where we sit down and go, how much do you think they make? And will you ask them to give a specific amount? That's none of my business and that's God's deal, according to me. That's just who I am. And so all we've done, and we do it unapologetically for 29 years, when we have a resource giant, we don't talk about money around here all the time, but when we have a resource giant, we're honest with you, and we say, pray about it. Because if you will pray, God will tell you. And if God says, this is not your giant, that's okay. I think most of the time, he'll tell you, get a little skin in the game, but that's between you and God, and there's no guilt. You just pray, that's all I ask you to do. Why wouldn't you pray? Why wouldn't you pray? Just pray. And say, honestly, God, do you want me to be involved in this? And if so, to what degree? And just be faithful with that. My wife and I did that a couple of months ago because we knew this was coming. We told you guys we're gonna do an offering in April or May. So we prayed about it, we always do, and we came up with an amount we're gonna give. Great, we're awesome with that. Start setting aside money. And wouldn't you know it, two weeks ago we had a financial disaster. Has any of you ever had a financial disaster right at right the wrong time? Anybody here or am I the only one? And so we sat down and we said, okay, what are we gonna do? We said, well, we're gonna give. We're, we're gonna figure it out, I'm gonna trust God. This doesn't always happen, I hesitate to share this part of it, but I want to, because it did. We had a breakthrough, I, out of the blue. I mean, one of these, where in the world did that come? I wasn't expecting that, where did that come from? And it wasn't the government, the disaster was the other direction, okay? And, 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 and so Friday, God provided the resources in order to give, and he just does that, and it's okay, and it's his money, and he can do what he wants to. But all I ask for you guys to do is just pray, just pray. Ask God, what do you want me to do? And then, uh, am I supposed to be a part? No guilt, either way. But our, I, I believe, I believe more than anything that this is a mountain that God wants us to take. I believe that. This is our mountain, and I wanna take it together. Can we pray? God, I thank you for this opportunity to take a mountain together. 
I pray first of all for individuals here that are facing various mountains in their lives. And maybe there are giants on those mountains. It's, it's areas that you want them to take, but it's hard and it's difficult. Today we bring it to you. We ask that your kingdom would come in our lives. And God, together we bring this financial giant as a part of the next mountain that we need to take. And we just ask, what, do you, what would you have each of us to do? Am I supposed to be involved? And if so, to what degree? God, so I, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.